You're listening to Haunacon Podcast, highlighting citizen Potawatomi Nation issues, members, and more. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Paige Willett. Today, you'll hear about the sounds and career of a tribal member who's made a name for himself in hip-hop and activism. We'll also get health and wellness tips from a CPN trainer and the history of the CPN Veterans Organization's Eagle Staff. Marcus Gwynn, also known as MC1, is a DJ, recording artist, rapper, youth mentor, and national speaker. He's Citizen Potawatomi, a descendant of the Burnett family. He's also Osage, Delaware, and Puerto Rican, and he invited me into his Oklahoma City home where he shared his inspiration, motivation, and music. Gwen is a storyteller. The skills he honed early in life as MC1 blend street smart lyrics and beats and his indigenous heritage. Early on, I fell in love with this hip-hop culture when hip-hop came to California, I grew up in California, and it was these hardcore thug guys that were dangerous, and when hip-hop hit, they began to solve their conflict with rhythm, rhyme, poetry, and arts, dance. It's kind of crazy to imagine, and that culture that was created the b-boy, the MC, the graph artist, and DJ, those four elements created a culture, and that culture was indigenous to America. It was attractive because these hardcore guys turned positive. So I was in love with hip-hop from its roots, and I was also in love with positivity in the streets. Those two things uh, morphed together to create the channel that I'm living today. During an interview at his Oklahoma City home, MC1 boots up his computer for a demo. He admits he's old school. The crossfader slider clicks as he mixes two Run DMC instrumental tracks as if they were vinyl records. The equipment is state-of-the-art, but his technique is classic turntablism. These days, almost everything he does is motivated by his passion to inspire and educate indigenous youth. His outreach programs include One Entertainment and One Chance Leadership, which he formed with Oklahoma-based activist Chance Rush. They have delivered his message everywhere from public school classrooms and multicultural centers to detention facilities. Happened organically, for sure. I mean, I've always been interested in like I've been trying to be on the side of right for communities and for youth even as a young person. With One Chance Leadership, Gwen and Rush work in conference settings. Gwen produces, consults, and DJs and Chance works as a public speaker, national youth conference facilitator, youth trainer, and healthy living advocate. Founded in 1994, they've partnered with organizations like Unity, National Congress of American Indians, United National Indian Tribal Youth, American Indian Science and Engineering Society, Parents Speak Up, American Indian Business Leaders, and the First Lady's National White House Youth Conference under the Obama administration. So the first thing we want to make sure they know is that they're in the game now, and they matter right now. Today, Gwen's also a DJ for Nike's N7 Fund initiative, which has united a collective of indigenous athletes, artists, musicians, and others to promote its N7 athletic wear collection. More than $5 million has been raised since 2010 to help youth be active through sport. 
He also tours the globe as tech support guru for N7 ambassador, rapper Shoshone Indian, and Black Eyed Peas member Taboo. The partnership with N7 promotes self-confidence, competition, community improvement, and unleashing the power of younger Native American generations, he said. First, it's unprecedented era they live in. This music industry that we're a part of is a $14 billion industry, $16 billion industry. But $18 billion is what alcohol companies make on underage sales. So under 21 is an $18 billion youth economic monster in just that one example. We like to tell them they're not the future. They're right now. Number one influence on the planet ages 13 to 24. So if they could recognize their influential power now, that's just for starters. Preserving and promoting indigenous pride among youth plays a prominent role in much of Gwen's projects, and he admitted that he was a teenager before he fully embraced his own heritage. Gwen found his roots and his voice as MC1 when he moved to the rural Oklahoma town of Pahuska after high school. His mother was young, battled drug and alcohol issues stemming from childhood sexual trauma, he said. She died in 1996 from AIDS several years after Gwen moved to Oklahoma. His grandmother raised him. I was 17, just graduated, and so we moved to Oklahoma, and that was culture shock for me. That's when it became, like, real. She would ask me, hey, there's a powwow at Stanford, let's go. I'm like, Psh, I'm good. I was crew Santa Clara Street, you know. Uh, that was what we did as urban kids, you know, and uh, really wasn't as interested in that then. And then when we came back to Oklahoma, and then it became real, and then I remember a couple years later going back out to Stanford Powell, being like, dang, this was in my backyard this whole time. And uh, I missed it growing up. So I was raised urban, and I think that might be why I appreciate some of those values a little more. Because I didn't grow up enriched in them. So when I, when I got exposed to them, when I moved back to Oklahoma, they were extremely valuable. When I moved to Oklahoma, uh, in 1990, right out of high school. I think the California backstory lended a little street cred and gave me a little more confidence because my reception was a little better. People were like, oh, you're from Cali. You're probably good at rapping. During this time, Gwen also developed his talent and built relationships. For example, old schoolers might remember Run DMC, Queen Latifah, and Tone Loke. MC1 performed a back-to-back -back show in Arkansas with Brian Frejo and Tone Loke. Soon after, Tone Loke performed at a Summer Jam concert in Oklahoma City. 10,000, 20,000 people, as far as I could see. So backstage, he remembered me. Oh, what up, man? So he has a part of his show where he brings people up. So he brought me up. And so I got to freestyle with him in front of Summer Jam. So that was a cool experience to be a part of. When you go, put your hands in the air, and 10,000 or more people put their hands in the air. It was like, oh my gosh, what is this? And the sound system was so clean and so pro, I was like, yes, I've got to do this. In many ways, MC1 came of age as hip-hop established itself, bringing authenticity and positivity into the forefront of popular culture. Those cultural values are pivotal. They're anchors. And so you can't not have those in what you do. They're your lighthouse. They're how you govern and how you, how you steer yourself. So I think it's just a natural, natural progression. 
In late 2016 into 2017, fellow N7 ambassador and friend Bunky Echohawk connected Gwen with Taboo, who rallied indigenous artists to form the Magnificent Seven, or MAG-7. Their goal was to support and highlight multicultural youth activism, specifically Standing Rock Sioux Indian Reservation protests against Dakota Access Pipeline construction on North Dakota tribal land. Together they helped create the stand-up Stand and Rock song and video. Gwen also wrote a verse. From the beginning we was winning this game on planet Earth. It's been spinning, we've been living and dying, but giving birth the first of many nations. Celebrating them days when all that got made came after what got made. These days we cater to these internet memes, internet streams. It seems them streams aren't clean. We need the whole story seen. We're hassling before water has gasoline in it. Malcolm X moment, Martin Luther King with a dream and war bonnet, wounded knee plus Alcatraz dog on it. This is for the rock with prayers we stand on it. Oh yeah, we playing on it. The earth we can't. They're taking freezing water cannons and rubber bullets, and they're taking an onslaught of actual pain and sacrifice. All we're doing is writing and recording rhymes. I mean, that doesn't seem very significant. So literally, when we say it's the least we can do, it was the least we could do, and we rallied to it. Youth and the music industry also rallied around Stand Up, Stand and Rock. The video featured footage of the water protectors and their camps, Gwen said, and soon became MTV's first all-star Native American hip-hop video music award nominee. It also earned a Best Fight Against the System video award in 2017. Learn more about MC1 and One Chance Leadership at Marcus Gwen's website, mc1.com. That's E-M-C-E-E-O-N-E.com. The tribe showed its commitment to health when it opened the Fire Lake Wellness Center in 2003. Personal trainer and fitness technician Wilson Littlehead is committed to health and wellness too. He shared some of his favorite fitness philosophies, workouts, and processes. Everyone comes to a gym and has like this mindset like, I don't know what to do, I don't want to go by myself. I feel like that's why a lot of people don't come to the gym is because they're scared, they don't know how to ask for help, they don't want to ask for help. But when you have like that accountability with someone and everyone's working for a common goal, I mean, that's what I want to help. That's why I do what I do. We're here for progress, and that's what I want to help people realize is that progress is the key, and everyone prog everyone's progress is different. But the important word is progress. And not just progress within physical, that mental. That's why I love group fitness because you're doing something in front of complete strangers that you're terrified, but they're there to push with you. And that's what I try to tell. That's what I instill in my classes. It's like, all right, guys, this is going to suck. I'm not going to lie. It's going to be hard. And I'm one of those trainers. I'm not in your face like, let's go, let's go, let's go. It's like this way. It's like the way I see it is like, if this is important enough to you and this is what you really want, you will do this and I will help you get there. And I will encourage you along the way. Well, I like to do circuit training and HIT training, high intensity interval training. And one class can typically range from about 45 minutes to an hour. We focus on high intensity cardio, followed by quick strength and conditioning. Why I enjoy doing circuit and HIT training is because when the class is over, you're still going to be burning those calories because your body is trying to come back to that resting state. And so throughout the day, you're still burning calories. Your metabolism is up. And um, that's why it's suggested we only do circuit training two or three times 
a week, and that's why I, we do it on Mondays and Fridays. I actually really, really enjoy the rowing machine. Full body, I'm all for full body. Because um, I'm not really trying to be like one of those. I'm not really trying to gain like a lot of muscle and be like tank top, like what you see at like Venice Beach. I'm not really trying to be one of those shredded, I guess, as you can say. I just want to be healthy. I tell my clients all the time, like you need that cheat day. You're rewarding yourself for the hard work that you're putting in. A little funny story, I kind of started with like my noons crew that I have more classes called cardio and queso. It's kind of a little fun little gimmick that we have. Um, and that's been an ongoing saying with them. Like they've really instilled into like, this is my crew, this is that cardio and queso crew. We work hard. And then every now and then I tell them to reward themselves because they've earned that. Whether that's with going out to their favorite restaurant. It's about not just making you physically happy, it's about making you mentally happy too. There's a three-step process to how I like to do things. One is to reflect. Reflect where you've been. Take it in. Look back. Okay, it's done. Then step two, you honor your progress. Everyone's progress is different, but you honor it regardless. Losing one pound this week may not be the eight pounds you lost two weeks ago, but it's progress. Be happy about progress. Third, prepare. Okay, I've already looked back. I'm proud of my hard work. What can I do next to get to the next level? That's all I really like to tell people is this. Reflect, honor, prepare. Fire Lake Wellness Center is open Monday through Thursday from 5 a.m. to 7 p.m., Friday from 5 a.m. to 5 p.m., and Saturday from 8 a.m. to noon. For more information and a fitness class schedule, visit cpn.news backslash wellnesscenter. Potawatomi culture reveres animals, particularly the eagle, and veterans. The Citizen Potawatomi Nation Veterans Organization Color Guard holds the unique honor of leading dancers into the arena during grand entry at tribal powwows. Recently, the organization has been working on a very special eagle project. And sitting with me now to discuss all this is the Haunacons' Mary Belzook. Thank you so much for taking the time today, Mary. Well, thanks for having me. So why do the Potawatomi put so much emphasis on veterans and the veterans organization? What kind of cultural significance does it really have? Well, the Citizen Potawatomi Nation's veterans organization actually started back around 2007. And in our culture, Potawatomi warriors have held an important part and place in our society, even before European contact. Um, it's extremely important to continue those traditions by honoring and recognizing them for their service and to remember all of those who came before us. Uh, one of our tribal members and veterans, Joseph Wolfkuhl, has been actually heading up a project to create a new Eagle Staff for the CPN's Veterans Organization and Color Guard. The Color Guard carries our flags and Eagle Staff in the grand entry at powwows and at ceremonies. And Joseph and I spoke at the gathering of Potawatomi Nations at um, the Prairie Band Potawatomi Nation in Mayetta, Kansas. And during our conversation, his passion for the Veterans Organization and serving our tribe just became absolutely so so apparent. Any time you get uh, veterans together, especially older ones, 
the stories. Uh, of course, GIs will always have stories, but the experiences you share in these stories are tremendous. It's it, it'd be great if somebody could just record them all and and publish them in some book, you know. Uh, and why is the Eagle Staff so important? Actually, uh, the Eagle Staff and all of its components are important and have spiritual and cultural significance to us, which I asked Joseph a little bit about since I didn't know a tremendous amount about our Eagle Staff. Well, they represent the tribe, the traditions, the Eagle. Uh, everybody, natives know what the Eagle is, and it's... It, uh, just denotes our history and represents you know, where we've been, what we've done. Uh, we've still having a discussion of uh, how the banner that we put on it will be. So we actually have oral traditions that say that eagles fly so high that they can carry our prayers to Creator and that the eagles protect us from destruction. Um, the eagle lets the Creator know every single day that there are still people out there doing the things that are asked of them. And that's what protects us and keeps us going for the next day. And so that's why the eagle is so significant in Potawatomi culture. Now, the eagle is also an endangered species, and the staff has literally an eagle head on it. How does that work? According to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, two federal laws protect eagles, including the Bald and Golden Eagle Protection Act and the Migratory Bird Treaty Act, which prohibit the sale, use, or possession of eagle feathers and parts. However, since eagles do hold such a cultural significance within Native American communities, members of federally recognized tribes are able to obtain feathers and body parts like the eagle head that will be placed on the staff that Joseph's working on. But Joseph did go through all of the proper channels to obtain it for this project, and it did take a little bit of time. Last summer, I ordered a, uh, last year, I guess it was now, an eagle from the wildlife repository in, in Colorado. Uh, it arrived here this June. Uh, it's currently living in my freezer, a whole eagle. Uh, we finally got a taxidermist that we convinced he wasn't going to jail if he worked on the eagle for us. So we'll get it into him next month to, to mount the head. Joseph actually had two pieces of rawhide that he had laser etched with the Citizen Potawatomi Nation seal, which he placed on the staff and surrounded the seal with our medicine wheel. And, you know, the medicine wheel holds so much cultural significance and teachings for us. So, so much effort is being put in to creating this new staff. How does it differ from the one that's being used right now, and why does a new one need to be made? Well, during grand entry, Lyman Bursaw carries our tribe's eagle staff, and Lyman's been carrying the staff since back in maybe like the early 2000s, and actually Chairman Rocky Barrett selected him because he is the eldest member of the CPN Color Guard. However, the current staff that's used can be kind of difficult to transport, and Joe said the new design will hopefully make it easier on Lyman to tote because it does break down into several pieces. Uh, I, I play with wood, and uh, so I just started working with different things to try to figure out how we would build it. And so far, it's a one-inch oak staff with brass couplings to, that will screw and unscrew together. Uh, they're about three feet long, so the whole thing will break down into roughly the size of a uh, 
kind of a large suitcase. Joseph is currently working with Lyman and other veterans on specific design elements, but he was able to use his woodworking experience to create a really good base to build the rest of the staff around. Uh, they initially wanted to recognize all of the battles the Potawatomi have been in since the Beaver Wars, but once they began laying out all of the wars, it became apparent there it was far too much to include on one staff. Right now it's going to be red on one side, blue on the other, lined with eagle feathers. Uh, I've seen one of the other tribes here, their veterans uh, eagle staff has a patch from each of the uh, military services on it. And I'm thinking about that maybe. So, And it's not just me. I'm trying to keep Lyman and John Bursaw and all involved. And, and uh, <clears throat> I talked to Dr. Mosteller down there of different ideas and kind of bugged Rocky a little bit about it. And he smiled. <laughs> so we're having fun with it. Well, often military service tends to run in families, and that is through all kinds of communities. So is that something that's also frequently seen in Potawatomi families? Yeah, I think so. Uh, military service does run in the tribe. I mean, just look at Joseph and his family. He joined the Air Force in 1965, where he served for 20 years. Uh, Joseph became involved with our veterans organization about a decade ago, and now his grandson, Anthony, is attending Kansas University, where he is involved in the ROTC program. And Joe is just so proud of Anthony for the fact that he's interested in military service and his Potawatomi history. It, I think it means a lot to him to know his heritage. Uh, he's very interested in history, wants to major in history. And like I told him, I said, history's great because how do you know where you're going if you don't know where you came from? So knowing his native heritage and the history of that, um, and then on the other side of the family, he was, uh, had an uncle that died in World War II. My dad went through uh, Omaha Beach in July sometime of after the initial invasion. So we've got quite a family history of military history in the family, and he's, he's interested in knowing that. Well, it sounds like the use of the Eagle Staff will be able to be passed along as well, and that they're building something that will be used hopefully for generations to come. And it sounds like this was an interesting and very special topic to research. Thank you for taking the time to talk to me today, Mary. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I truly appreciated just the chance to get to talk to some of our tribal elders and veterans and just learn a little bit from them. So I'm so excited for this new project, and I can't wait to see it finished up. And thanks again for having me. For more information about the CPN Veterans Organization, visit cpnveterans.net. Hanukkah Podcast is produced and brought to you by the Citizen Potawatomi Nation's Public Information Department. Our director is Jennifer Bell. The theme music is written and performed by Marsha Bindo. You can visit us on the web and find digital editions of the tribal newspaper at potawatomi.org. That's P-O-T-A-W-A-T-O-M-I dot O-R-G. We're on Facebook at Citizen Potawatomi Nation and on Twitter at C underscore P underscore N. Until next time, I'm Paige Willett. Miigwech nikanek, bamamina. Thank you, friends. See you later.